Don't ask me what I feel about myself. Ask me what I know about God. Ask me what I know about his word. I just realized something. He wasn't sleeping on a pillow. He was sleeping on purpose. Something to say I think is important but not essential would be like the inerrancy of scripture. Um, oh, wow. And okay. I hold to the inerrancy of scripture. Okay. The title of my sermon tonight is Why Church Nurseries Are Unscriptural and Wrong. And so that's why I have a baby on my hip right here. There is a level of anointing that I believe is going to invade your homes, invade your sight, invade your senses. Um, that's going to, I literally feel that chains are going to break off of you. Do you think I'm wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. So am I a bad guy for saying you're wrong? Yeah. I am? Yeah. <laughs> that's not fair. Hey, by the way, you are a slave. If you're not a slave of Christ, you're a slave of sin. You aren't free. Choose your master. Give us some men who know the truth. A Twitter friend in the flesh. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, you made some good contacts on Twitter. Twitter can be a very scary place. But it can be a good good place too, huh? Yeah, that's like everything, you know. Yeah. How long have you been on Twitter? Well, uh, not that long. Was it 2011 or 2015? Something I've forgotten. It's on my bio there, but yeah, yeah. But lately, more, more, more active, I think, on it. But uh, you have to be careful with it too, you know. Oh, and it consumes too much of your time. For sure, yeah. I uh, I've increased the amount of interaction I have on there over the last year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. Really transitioned away from Facebook. Um, I mean, those those are such two different platforms. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Facebook. I I still have the platform uh, because I do some Bible expositions, but I just put a post in there and leave. You know, I'm yes. the, that's it. That you is a hundred percent the same for me. I do a devotional that I type up each week. Yeah. And uh, pictures of my kids, you know, for yeah, family yeah. and friends, that, and no, just, post and leave. So, that's right. yeah. So you're in uh, you're in Nova Scotia, New Scotland. Yeah. New Scotland, yeah. It's uh, well, we're in Nova Scotia. It's, it's actually a little bit south of parts of Maine because it goes out in the ocean, but down a little bit. Hmm. Uh, so we're about the middle of Maine, uh, as far as you know, latitude goes, and uh, yeah. That's that's amazing. That's one place I would love to visit. Uh, we are, Lord willing, headed to New England this summer. So this episode will come out after that trip, theoretically. But right. uh, we have uh, plans to make it to Boston this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have always wanted to go to the coast of Maine. That's something I've yeah. wanted for a long time. I bet it's just right. awesome there. Yeah, and, and basically it's the same geography here in Nova Scotia as as Maine, you know, like in the fishing villages and lobsters and all mm-hmm. of that, you know, and sort of the rugged coastline. Actually, my wife and I were supposed to be down in Massachusetts in Boston uh, two weeks ago, but she got she fell sick. Mm-hmm. I was going, going to a Bible conference, so we had to, we had to cancel that one out. But she's feeling better now. But yeah, you'd love the East Coast if you get here. Yeah. Yep. I love uh, like cold, cold and wet. And I love bodies of water. I mean, it just seems like it makes sense, you know. Yeah, salt spray, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but so your your accent then is that reflective of where you are 
locally? Yeah, I mean, Canadian accents are just like American accents. It, it's in a big place, right? So here has a little bit of a Celtic, Gaelic tilt. Yes. Yeah, that's what I was picking up on. It's like a little bit of Irish or something. Yeah. Uh, well, um, here in Nova Scotia, like if you go into the rural area, it's not so much here in the city where people are from everywhere, but some of the old people still speak Gaelic in their homes and, you know, bagpipes and the whole thing. So, wow. yeah, we have, uh, and then there's Irish here and English and, you know, so it, it has that, that sort of, uh, then we were isolated off, you know, from the old country too, for many years. So we have our own little unique mix here. Mm -hmm. And then we have the Acadians, which are a French group. Uh, most of them were exported down to Louisiana before the American Revolution. They became what the Cajuns, you know, the Cajuns. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They came from here. Originally, this was called Acadia before the uh, the British sort of expelled the French out of it. But yeah, we, so we have our little our little regional accent yeah okay and yeah. born and raised there were you yeah born and raised here yeah born in 1952 so i'm one of those old boomers you know <laughs> okay boomer <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right yeah has that area changed much I, I it seems like a place in the world that is maybe perpetually the same but maybe i'm wrong in thinking that yeah yeah well you know it's like a lot of uh rural areas in north america that it keeps some of its its way, uh, but it's hard to keep, you know, progress in the world out, you know. Well, see, here in the city where we are in the Halifax area, it's it's the headquarters of the Canadian Navy. Hmm. It's a population about 500,000. So, you know, and people are from everywhere. What you get in the rural areas is pretty much the same as, you know, it's always been. Okay. Of course, you know, the Internet has made the world so much, you know, smaller and everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yep. yeah. You, what's uh, what's general culture like there? Is it farming and stuff? Is it you said rural? Uh, yeah, it's fishing. Well, oh. it's fishing it, outside of the city here. It's fishing. It's like Maine. You know, lobster fishing is big okay. industry, billion dollar industry. Hmm. And uh, north of us, it's another little province, Prince Edward Island, and that's potatoes and tourism. You know, Anna Green Gables and all that. But we have the military base here, the, the Navy. So there's a lot of spin-off from that. Hmm. And uh, we're sort of like a uh, – Halifax is sort of like a, a smaller version of Boston. There's always this hmm. connection between Halifax and Boston until the American Revolution sort of separated us, you know. But, um, yeah. Uh, but once you get outside the city, it's, it's, it's fishing, lumbering, you know, because it's sort of a rocky area. There, there's not a lot of farming. Certain little areas there is, but not a lot okay. of farming here in Nova Scotia. Yeah, I bet you get you guys have the best seafood a man could ever eat. Oh yeah, right. Uh, well, you know, my wife and I will go, and there's a little place we go, and uh, the fisher boats actually pulling in, you know, and, and they can eat it right off pretty well after they have little outlets there, so you can have fresh scallops, fresh lobster, lobster rolls, mm. whatever, you know. You're spoiled, man. <laughs> if you like fish yeah yeah i i love seafood and, yeah. and like i was saying i love yeah, the cold and the wet and so yeah god saw fit to put me in a desert out here in utah <laughs> i think i could use that right now you know? uh -huh. yeah wow yeah well uh let's talk about your story i, I you know I, being uh friends with you on on twitter and yeah, just yeah. picking up 
bits here and there about right. what you're up to now and where you came from, I thought, yeah. man, your, your story has got to be pretty interesting because I know um, you're obviously Canadian, but you were involved uh, also to a degree with the Jesus movement. seems like that's yeah. when you were born again. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're Plymouth Brethren. And so yeah. you're a unique mix of factors. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, all I should say it's God, you know, <laughs> uh, but yeah, of course, like I was born in 52, you know, and then it, here in, in Canada was not much difference in the U.S., like in the 50s, growing up in the 50s and everything. And then, uh, like I wasn't brought up in a Christian home uh, and my parents were just regular, you know, people uh, not knowing Christ. My father was an alcoholic. Uh, though he got straightened out, you know, after I got saved, but, and they're both with, they're both gone, I believe with the Lord, but uh, in the mid sixties, you know, as a teenager, uh, really low self-esteem and everything, got involved in, uh, you know, uh, sniffing glue and fingernail polish, removing all, you know, like the, the, the solvents. It really was sort of suicidal without being suicidal you know and then then the psychedelics came in and then we we're off <laughs> off and gone on that you know so that was that was basically my life in the in the mid to late 60s and early 70s uh the old cult hinduism all of that stuff psychedelics and uh you know, my, my best friend and i uh, we had a little slogan called no hope without dope <laughs> but you know, it wasn't the you know the opioids like you see today, you know, heroin and fentanyl, just the psychedelics, you know, uh, LSD and you know and uh, these types of uh, drugs. You know, not addictive, but m- sort of mind altering. Uh, that was really accessible for you back then. But yeah, in the in the in the late sixties, that's when you know hashish and LSD came along. Before that, like I said, you know, as a young guy, I was you know sniffing you know, sniffing glue and, and all of this uh, type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just thankful that somehow uh, the Lord in his mercy preserved my faculties uh, to a degree, mm-hmm. uh, because I know I have friends that are pretty well gone. Uh, so we give thanks, Lord's mercy in that. But anyway, uh, so uh, my friend Steve and I, we, one time we hitchhiked up, hitchhiked up to Toronto, saw Led Zeppelin, you know, and I had a sort of an experience there uh, when I was in a hostel and I was on an LSD trip where some Christians brought gospel. This was, this would be 71, you know, Zeppelin were just introducing their you know, stairway to heaven thing. And, and that was really, you know, part of stairway, like how do mm. how do you get there? Like, you know, you know, like this, psychedelics a pathway and and so it's really searching but these christians came into the hostel and they give out literature and i had a bit of a turnaround but not i wasn't saved but i said you know uh there's something about this i gotta get my life together i went back east again to halifax and try to finish my high school managed to finish high school but then i was right back into the whole thing again so but then so we ended up when you were in toronto just i'm trying to picture yeah. the scene here you were you're staying at a hostel, which isn't known for being a uh, five-star, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Just filled with hippies, right? Oh. Uh, yeah. and, and you're there for the purpose of seeing Led Zepp, and you're tripping on drugs, and Christians yeah. come in. Um, I, I mean, do you remember much of that conversation? Not a lot, but I remember 
it was a pretty heavy trip. It was a, a form of LSD called uh, window pain or white light. It was a heavy mm -hmm. dose. And I was sort of losing my marbles, you know. And I remember uh, sort of trying to come down a bit and just sitting in the curl up in a corner there. And this, I think they were Pentecostals. The, the, the man came in with a suit and tie and with other young people and they were giving out literature. And I remember him looking down at me saying, how can you people live in such filth? You know? <laughs> and I was like, a, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Like, But really what it was, yeah. was the, it was the uncleanness, the filth inside. You know, mm -hmm. it was like my exterior wasn't really something that was the issue. But uh, yeah, so I, I was able to get my my uh get out of high school uh barely but i was right back in so we ended up hitchhiking out to british columbia on the west coast i don't know if you know where british That's columbia is. the only time i've been out of the country i went to victoria for a day uh right. there in british columbia so that well, was a nice town Victoria. oh yeah nice yeah that was uh Sheesh, 23 years ago now oh. but uh, um <laughs> that's the only time i've ever left the country yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I was uh, in um, British, we were in British Columbia and um, same, you know, just living the heavy lifestyle. And I had the address for a Zen monastery in Vancouver. I met a Japanese Canadian guy and he had given me the address. I figured, well, you know, if I just, I just go to this, uh, this uh, monastery, I had this crazy thought in my head that, you know, I could, I could sort of get rid of all the worldly uh uh you know things that i was involved with and you know just get in touch with nirvana nirvana mm. you know like you know the cosmic or what just a, a strange thought you know just to purify myself of all the things that i was involved with uh but that never panned out because jesus intervened mm. you know? uh, and you know i i believe very much that uh, salvation is of the lord of god's grace uh, and I can remember uh, we were picking cherries in a cherry orchard uh, just to, you know, keep body and soul together and to buy drugs. And uh, uh, we were living in these migrant worker shacks there in British Columbia. And I can remember going up in the field at night, just looking up the sky and, you know, God, or I kept running into Christians everywhere, giving me, you know, chick track, this was your life and this type of stuff. And, couldn't sort it all out in my head and uh, i remember praying you know not verbally because i didn't really know how to pray but you know god if, if you're as the christians say that you know there's there's a heaven there's a hell you know there's uh but or is it just as as i've been reading you know like i'm just going to become part of the universe part of the cosmos or i'll come back in another form you know these were the, i felt i was going down you know i was only 21 mm -hmm. But I felt it was really, you know, going down the tubes. And so it was sort of a prayer. But I remember one day in the cherry shack, uh, I was meditating on a like this mandala that I had gotten uh, from a book uh, by uh, Baba Ram Das. Uh, Baba Ram Das had been an associate of uh, Timothy O'Leary in Harvard. It was Richard Alpert. And, you know, he was like one of these LSD promoters, but he converted to Hinduism and changed his name to Babarandas. So I was into him and I had his mandala on the wall, you know, meditating on it. And uh, we had a friend there uh, in the migrant worker shacks uh, named Jerry. And he was a junkie, heroin addict from Vancouver, who had 
run into the Jesus people army, had sort of a conversion experience, but had backslidden, but he was on methadone treatment, you know, like to, to get off yep. the heroin. He had all the tracks up inside his legs and his arms. And uh, so I was sitting in the chat, the shack meditating on this thing. Jerry comes rushing in, you know, just, uh, we called him Jerry, the junkie. He can rush in and say, Brian, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm meditating, Jerry. He said, Brian, you're a fool. And I said, why, Jerry? Why am I a fool? He says, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except by me. And he walked out. I said, you know, so that sort of rattled me. Yeah, and, wow. And, and like, like I said to my friend Steve, who was uh, traveling with me, I said, Steve, don't you see that? You see, like, there's, like, there's two forces that are grappling for my soul somehow. I said, I remember saying that to him. He said, Brian, you're you're crazy. You know, just smoke some dope and forget about it. You know, like you're, you know, he just thought I was like silly or whatever. But that was really something I felt. I felt there were there were two forces, and. I remember one night in the in the in the shack, I woke up and there was sort of some spiritual entity, an evil spirit in my room, and I was really really afraid. And so, is, the, is it something you saw visually? Something you felt? Yeah, or? yeah, I felt it was. I was awake. I waking up and it was there in the doorway. Yeah, like a like a silhouette or something. Huh? Yeah, like a sil like a shadow silhouette. But it, it, it just tremendous fear came over me. Yeah, you know this type of thing, but. Because I had been into like um, the Carlos Castaneda, you know, the, the, these books of sorcery and so on, that you can contact the spirit world through uh, like, you know, uh, uh, magic mushrooms, the LSD and all and all of this, you know. And, and in, in fact, that's what was happening. And uh, but it was a few days after that, that Steve and I were at a rock concert in um in Kelowna, which was a small town, in um, do you remember who, who was headlining that night? I yeah, think it, was, it, it, it adds a little to the story. Yeah, yeah, it was just a, a local British Columbia group called Ball and Chain. Okay, you know, it, it pretty well describes it, right? Like Ball and Chain. Right? <laughs> wow, yeah, 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 dripping with irony here. <laughs> right, I know. And uh, actually, my daughter is writing a book on how uh, mom and daddy were converted, like. Because she wants the grandchildren to know how did grandma and granddad become like radical Christians? Like what what happened to the family, you know? And she looked it up. She in fact was able to contact one of the members of the Ball and Chain, uh, who's still living out in, in BC there. But anyway, so I was sitting there, and uh, the band was playing, and at the it was at a regatta because Kelowna's on the Okanagan Lake, so it was at a regatta, and there was all these kiosks like these booths you know the harry krishna had one i remember being on the harry krishna bus talking with them and 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 different all these different uh you know groups and the christians had one and i took some of their literature and i put it in my back pocket and so we were just sitting there at the rock concert and i pull up one of the booklets it was good news by a man named john you know the gospel of john and i opened it and it said in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the uh, 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 was with God and the word was God. And just something just hit me. Not like I was stoned. Okay. Mm -hmm. But still somehow there was something speaking to the, the deep core of my heart. Like there's just reality. Just like I experienced back in the hostel, 
uh, several years earlier in the Toronto area. Like some, there's something here. I don't know what it is, right? But again, that feeling. And then I pulled out the other uh, pamphlet I'd gotten, and it was a picture of a man's hand coming up out of like mud or and another hand coming down, pulling it. And it said there was a legend once that a man was drowning in quicksand. And a Hindu would say, don't worry, brother, you'll come back in another form. Uh, Confucius would say men shouldn't go uh, near such places. Muhammad would say, alas, it is the will of Allah. You know, uh, Buddhists would say, um, let that life be a lesson to the world. You know, I'm down through the list of all these. Uh, but Jesus said, give me your hand, brother, and I'll pull you free. And when I read that, something just happened inside of me. Like, wow. I just knew that 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 Jesus Christ was real and that he loved me and he loved me just where I was, just as I was. Hmm. Right. And all these other things I was exploring were like, you know, like stairways to heaven, like paths, you know, like like programs, you know, uh, uh, systems or whatever. Although I wouldn't articulate it like that, but that's what they were. But the thought was like he came to me hit me was there anything in your life that had primed the pump for this like was there any uh evangelism that happened to you at a younger age where you had heard of the gospel and then now later on in life it's yeah. kind of coming back up no just just snippets you know because huh. my parents up until i was about 12 we went to like a mainline protestant church uh, it's, it's one of the biggest denominations here in Canada, the United Church of Canada, and it's just totally liberal. There's no gospel there. Uh, you know, it's things you hear about Jesus and this type of thing. And I remember at one point, I think in 69, I started reading the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark, for some reason. My my friends were teasing me, Brian, you're becoming a Jesus freak, you know. Uh, but it, nothing hit, you know, nothing clicked. But I, when I was in British Columbia, I kept running into Christians. And uh and getting like like i said you know this was your life and other tracks and 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 so and that like when that night when i was in the field to see i was trying to sort this out somehow like i had enough from the christians to think you know well there's uh jesus christ supposedly is the son of god and that you know uh if you don't receive him you you know you can come into eternal judgment these types of thoughts but nothing really I didn't understand anything, you know, nothing clicked. But just at that point, July 27, 1973, you know, it was just like, that was it. You know, it is Jesus. It's him, you know. It's not Babaram Das. It's not Buddha. It's not, you know, it's it's Jesus Christ. He's real. And, and it, it just, I was born again. It was just wow. like I felt clean all of a sudden. Even in the midst of all, everything, clean inside. And uh, I said, to, I turned to Steve, my friend, and he was just grooving to the music. And I said, hey, Steve, it's Jesus. And like the blood just went out of his face like he was going to faint. Now, as long as I was into all these Eastern programs and uh, this and that, he didn't he didn't care, right? Because I was changing my, he said, Brian, you change your religion like you change your shirt, which wasn't very often as a hippie, right? But, you know, it was one thing, another thing, and so on. But, but, but for him, sport. like yeah. Jesus wasn't just another shirt. That was like almost a, like a straight jacket, basically. You put yeah. Jesus on and now you're a killjoy. Now it's a different well, yeah. ballgame. Like, he knew instinctively that our whole gig was up somehow. Mm. In fact, uh, the story with Steve 
is that he ended up leaving and ended up back in, in Nova Scotia. And in I was saved in, in uh, July 73. And in November of, of 73, uh, he was saved. But the Lord had the Lord actually delivered him from from an evil spirit. You know, mm. I'm not a Pen I'm not a Pentecostal, but the, the Lord delivered him from an evil spirit uh, when he was on LSD. So he set him free. And actually, this person I'm speaking about, Steve, he's my brother-in-law now, and him him and I founded the local assembly. He was an elder in, in in the assembly. So people say, yeah, everybody sees Jesus when they're on LSD, but you know. Uh, LSD doesn't put you in Christian ministry for 40 or 50 years. You know? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know I mean? But later I found out that, you know, actually this was part, was part of, of an awakening, a revival, you know, God was moving, the Holy Spirit was moving and he was saving hippies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it started on the Western West coast of the United States and Canada and swept right across North America. And then it went beyond uh, just the hippies. Uh, tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands were saved at that time. So a lot of the big Christian parachurches, megachurches, and everything came out of that uh, that revival. So those, those Christians you were interacting with there in British Columbia, were they Chuck Smith Calvary Chapel people? No, no. Or I was, had no idea. No. See, the but, thing but is... Everything was just downstream from that, essentially. Uh, yeah, it like the focus. Well, I guess they just they just came up with that movie, J Jesus Revolution. So the 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 focus seems is is on on their section of that revival, but it was much bigger than Costa Mesa and and just California. It was North America wide, although it started on on the West Coast. Like you have to understand, this was before before the internet or news. We had no, we didn't even read newspapers, and we were just on the street. We just like I had no idea that there was something happening in california you didn't see jesus trending on twitter back then <laughs> yeah exactly exactly it's like but the thing is i got saved that day and i knew i knew it like i knew it was saved and uh i kept running into other young people on the street hey jesus saved me. jesus came into my life the other day well mine too and then we'd have these impromptu bible studies you know uh because we were being saved uh, outside of church, apart from, you know, instrumentality of men, like in a, in a direct sense. Mm. Uh, but we didn't know what to do. We did. <laughs> we had no doctrine. We had no theology. We had no church. We had no fellowship. We just knew that Jesus saved us. And so we'd start these Bible studies. And I can remember once we opened up, we started with Ezekiel, you know, because, <laughs> well, that's in the middle of the Bible, you know, so we'd start there. But you know, kind of like how, how kids will spin a globe and point and say, That's where I'm going to live one day. You just cracked open the Bible and just started going, huh? That's where we had no idea. But I remember walking along uh, the lake, Okanagan Lake, and I heard some singing, went down on the beach, and there were some young people there, uh, guys and girls. And they had some guitars and they were singing choruses and started chatting with them. And, and they were singing how, uh, you know, giving their testimonies they were saved recently and so on and i don't know if they were even with any particular group and one of the young guys said have you been baptized yet and i said no and so he, he read some verses to me and he said do you want to be baptized and i said yes 
And so I went out into the lake with them and, and baptized right there. Mm-hmm. And, and this is back in Nova Scotia? or where No, it? no, no, in British Columbia. Oh. It, just a few days after I was saved. Wow. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like we kept running into these young people. But again, uh, we had no idea what was going on in California or anywhere else. I thought that this was normal, hmm. that people kept getting saved, and there were a lot of Christians everywhere. I thought that was normal that I somehow I was just, you know, from Nova Scotia living under a rock somewhere. And this is this is reality. But the fact is, it was not normal. It was not reality. God was awakening people. And in my opinion, I know a lot of people have Chris, uh, criticized the Jesus movement. And there are aspects of it probably that could be criticized. But it was not really a movement as such, you know. Because the people who were saved out of it went in all sorts of directions. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah, the Calvary chapels definitely came out of that. But many of us went all sorts of directions, you know. Uh, but we weren't saved through Chuck Smith or Calvary Chapel. We're saved by the Lord. I never mm-hmm. heard of Chuck Smith till maybe, you know, 15, 20 years later. And then when you heard of him, you were like, yeah, maybe uh, maybe I don't want to associate with that movement so much. Well, I, well Steve, I remember, I don't know when it was, uh, but uh, Steve had uh, got a copy of the Time magazine that, because his mother used to get Time magazine. It was in her, like, uh, she had a little stand that kept her magazines in it. Mm-hmm. And he came and showed it to me, and it had a picture of Jesus on it. And it said, the Jesus Revolution, right? And, and it, you know, sort of, recorded everything that was happening and the mass baptisms in the pacific ocean of hippies like sometimes three thousand at a time i said oh okay okay that's starting to make some sense now (laughs) what was going on you know so you start to over time start to piece it together a bit and uh well well, let me throw a curveball uh there at this juncture in the story because i've i've seen you say something before about how a, a commonality from your experience that mm-hmm. these people, these hippies who are getting saved, mm-hmm. uh, a, a commonality was a pre-tribulational rapture, that that was mm-hmm. something that was kind of in your all's minds from the start. Mm-hmm. Yet uh, today, you know, post-millennialism has made a comeback and yeah. it's almost sounding like, you know, as you're describing this, you're just seeing Christians everywhere and you kind of thought that's the way it was. And mm-hmm. uh, Jesus revolutions on the cover yeah. of magazines. Yeah. It would almost lend to post-millennialism, like the world's getting more and more Christian. How, right. how did you have a more of a pre-tribulational view of things whenever yeah. some there were so many Christians around? Yeah, well, uh, doctrinally, that came later. But uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ was so real to me. Like, I, I left the, the psychedelic drugs and... Uh, Everything dropped off, and uh, he was everything to me. And I wanted to see him and be with him so really badly. And I remember sitting on a park bench reading Revelation chapter 19 for the first time in my life. Uh, That'll wake you up. Just reading it. Oh, but what came to me was he's coming back because I I didn't know that. He's coming back. And I think, wow, like – uh, what do I do? do? Do I just wait, you know, or what do I do? You know, like there, there was the desire was so great to, to see him that uh, I felt he could come at any time. That was the feeling of my spirit. This is great. I wonder how long it's going to be, maybe just a day or two or whatever. You know, this is how I was thinking. 
wasn't totally rational in one way, but I think in the in spiritually, it was right mm. that that this thought of imminency that you know uh, there's no distance between the believer and his head, the Lord Jesus, mm. that there's nothing between us and him for him to come at any time. But when I came back to Nova Scotia, I came back. I stayed out west for a year. I lived in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan for a while. And then I ended up back here on the East Coast, started witnessing to my old friends, Steve and I did. And, and uh, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 or so of our old friends got saved. Some went into Christian ministry. And so the revival was happening in Nova Scotia, too. Wow. Uh, these young people, Bible studies were packed out uh, with kids getting saved and so on. Uh, but I came into contact, I think it was in uh, the summer of 75, I was in a Christian bookstore, and I got a copy of, of The Coming Prince by Sir Robert Anderson. And I started reading that through on, you know, Daniel's 70 weeks, the prophecy of Daniel's 70 weeks. And that really opened things up in my understanding in connection with uh, the fact that there's still one week, a period of seven years, that have not been fulfilled. And I could see it. I saw that. Uh, and that gave me some some light on it. Later, I got Alva J. McLean's book on uh, Daniel's prophecy, 70 weeks. And that that was really helpful. He was simpler than Sir Robert Anderson. Yeah. But uh, that really helped. But my wife and I, we ended up in a Pentecostal church you know, when I came back east. Not because I was necessarily, you know, a convinced <laughs> Pentecostal. Uh, the Jesus movement tended to be uh, mildly charismatic, but uh, just that I saw the preacher, the local preacher on TV, there was TV, he had a TV program. I was, oh, okay, they're Christians, they're talking about Jesus, you know, I'll go there, you mm. know. And uh, my I, I had witnessed to my wife's older brother, we had been drug buddies, and he got converted, and the whole family, seven brothers and sisters, and the mom and dad were converted. And we're all baptized, and they were going, and we were all going to this Pentecostal church. Um, there, so we stayed there for about ten years of our uh, first of our Christian experience. Uh, but you know, I was always felt as, as a student of the Word. You know, I the Word was very important in my you know my Christian life and digging into the Word. So was that was that time period characterized by? taking in some of that doctrine that you now disagree with, like even losing your salvation? Did you believe that then? No, I, I always had in my uh, uh, spirit, I had the, the sense of assurance that it would never be lost, but I couldn't explain it biblically always, you know? And I, I remember there was a lady who had a little bookstore here in town, a Christian bookstore. And she should, she said, Brian, I think this was 1976. She said, uh, you should get this book. Uh, she used to take some of us uh, young ex hippies under the wing and you know, under her wing and, and take us into her kitchen. The back her bookshop was in her house. Take us into her kitchen, give us homemade bread and cookies, and share the things of the Lord with us. And she said, "Brian, you should get this book." And it was uh, notes on the Pentateuch by C. H. Macintosh. Mm. And but it was reading through Macintosh, uh, like he explained uh, the doctrine of assurance in a way that really clicked with me. And that was one of the things that, uh, in my mind, helped explain the verse in First uh, John uh, chapter 2, where John says, uh, little children, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you have no need that any man teach you. Well, that doesn't mean that 
the Lord hasn't given teachers in his church. Absolutely, he has. Uh, but what CHM did for me was he could articulate biblically what I already knew in my spirit that the Holy Spirit had given me that I, I was in the Lord's hands, you know, and, and I was secure in him. I felt that in my spirit, but he could explain it and articulate it in a way biblically that I had a biblical basis for what I felt was, was true hmm. uh, in my own heart. Now, Macintosh is a guy who doesn't get quoted a lot uh, hmm. these days. You quote him. Uh, and, and I, I've got just a, a real loose experience with his works. So you want to just give an overview of who he is? Cause I think this will obviously tie into where you ended up doctrinally too. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. C.H. McIntosh, he was with the, the early Plymouth brethren and back in Britain in the 1800s. Uh, uh he was uh, associated with ones like, uh, J. And Darby, F.W. Grant, uh, William Kelly, all these early brown. Um, he he was a Bible teacher amongst the brethren, but the, this the, the, what they taught uh, spread far beyond the the meeting halls of of, of brethren, uh, especially in North America, especially in the USA. Hmm. Uh, in the latter part of the nineteenth century, uh, it really sort of exploded amongst the evangelical churches. Even though a lot of uh, you know, people who believe in dispensational truth or the coming of the Lord, some maybe even loosely, uh, have no idea that uh, the connection there or, or, the, yeah. or the links there. But but the link's not really important. The fact is that, uh, I, again, I believe it was a, a work of the Holy Spirit, a recovery, uh, an opening up of the word mm -hmm. uh, that uh, was already there. It's not a new truth. It's just simply blowing the dust off it, and 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 you know, it was I think an advance on what was given in the Reformation, which laid the foundation, you know, justification, and every man having a Bible for himself and being at liberty to read it. That was fundamental. That was foundational before any other truth uh, could be recovered to the church. And, and you're just talking basically about dispensational theology as a whole. Is yeah. that yeah, that's yeah. what we're talking about? Yeah, yes. But, uh, would you say the Bible conference movement is what, in that last half or the second half of the 19th century, is what really caused it to spread? Yeah, here in North America, for sure. Uh, it already been Britain starting the and in continental Europe in the 1830s. And, and uh, Darby went to Switzerland, and there was a revival actually in Switzerland and, and several revivals in Britain. But uh, in North America, it really took off. Yeah, and the Bible Conference movement, uh, especially the Niagara and the Lake uh, conferences in Niagara and Lake, Ontario. Actually, my daughter lives in Niagara and wow. Lake. Uh, and a couple of years ago, I had a series there in the local assembly there, uh, a seven-part series on the millennium. You know, I thought if I'm going to uh, be in Niagara the Lake, you know, I'm going <laughs> to speak on this. But yeah, um, yeah. so you get ones like. Uh, uh, brothers who were involved in the production of the C uh, Schofield Bible, uh, you know, Arno C. Gabeline and uh, C.I. Schofield. And uh, there's a Dr. Gray. I think he was associated with Moody Bible Institute. Um, and so, yeah. And then it spread from Niagara. There was various prophetic uh, Bible conferences 
springing up in the U.S. and Canada. And, well, let's uh, um, let's do this. Let's uh, explain what Plymouth Brethren is that that quote unquote denomination. I'll let you yeah. handle all that, and yeah. then uh, and then circle back around and explain how you went from being ten years in a Pentecostal church yeah. to being <laughs> a, a part of the Plymouth Brethren yeah. movement today. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Let's, let's let's explain it because it's one of those terms that I think a lot of our listeners who are more serious students of theology would. Yeah understand a bit about but not a lot uh so yeah you're you, you can be our plymouth brethren expert today okay <laughs> yeah well it like you said it's not uh it's not a denomination per se uh more of a movement with certain principles uh which basically is um the truth of the one body of christ as formed by the holy spirit on earth and you know, meeting on that basis, um, it's sort of. Uh, a, if I said anti-clerical, that may give the wrong impression, but it's sort of more an emphasis on the priesthood of the believer is really a strong emphasis. Uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, each Lord's Day, and any brother uh, in good standing can take part in it, giving out a hymn or you know, reading a scripture verse. Uh, and, but we do have. Sorry, I I, I will probably have interjections here because I have so many questions. Don't keep going. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, is there a distinction of two types of brethren where there is closed and open on that communion issue? Uh, yeah, there is. Uh, like for example, in our local gathering, we have like what we call a guarded table. Okay. Uh, there are other assemblies that are sort of more like wide open as far as who is received to the Lord's table. And, and yeah, so there's, so there's, like I said, there's no monolithic, you know, headquarters. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more of a, a, a movement taking up certain, these principles. But, but the way you just explained it, as far as guarded is a true believer in the Lord Jesus. Um, right. Or is there more to it than that? Yeah. A, a, a believer, as long as, you know, their, their connections are not with something that would be, uh, association with you know false doctrine or you know something that we would have to make sure that they you know weren't imbibing or promoting uh okay. something that is uh that is unbiblical or false but uh the the basis is if if they have life it's not so much light as it is life yeah. uh, and you know holiness of life you know they can't be living in sin and and, and uh, there ha has to be a certain consistency in their walk with the Lord okay. so someone would come to remember the Lord at his table you know they, they would probably be interviewed you know uh, by a couple of brethren and so on so yeah I, I, I hesitate to use the word closed you know because if, if it's closed then it makes it like you know well uh you, you want to put yourself in the place of a sect you know mm -hmm. uh but then you know if you're wide open then uh you know anybody can uh partake then i think you know that uh that is problematic as well mm -hmm. so yeah we would take the guarded table position in our local assembly and, and you said non-clerical i uh, think my experience before with um, someone who was a uh, member, I guess I could say, of Plymouth yeah. Brethren, was that th there is no, at least for him uh, and his uh, fellowship, there was no paid staff vocational mm -hmm. minister. Is that kind of across the board? 
Yeah, generally, uh, locally, there wouldn't be like the elders generally are are, are non-vocational, but we do have brethren who are f- like full-time in the Lord's work. Uh, I, I myself, you know, and on, on an itinerant way, you know, would travel and visit assemblies, teach the word, preach the gospel, this type of thing. So uh, it's not that we don't believe in full-time ministry. We do. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're, are you supported by your local fellowship? Uh, I'm supported. Uh, I don't get a salary. It's more by gifts. I see. Okay? And they can come from anywhere, uh, that type of thing. And locally, too, I'll get gifts from my local assembly as well. Okay, gotcha. Sorry, yeah. Sorry to hit, throw a couple speed bumps out there, but oh, I'll no, probably no, keep that's... doing it just so you know. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I, it's a it's a weird thing to go like from a Pentecostal church to to brethren because, uh, you know, we don't have musical instruments in our meetings. You know, like you know, the sisters have their heads covered. You know, it's quiet. You know, mm. very quiet. You know. Uh, coming from a place that's pretty rocking, and, you know, like yeah, Pentecostals—they're waving their flags and doing their dances and everything else. That's right. And then, then, the, then there's the doctrinal aspect, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that that that's, that was the whole thing in my life itself. But uh, no, I mean, the Lord—you know—the Lord has uh, has a, a place for each of us in, in in our own experiences, guiding us in our life. And uh, um, mine is 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 unique, but I guess everybody's is unique. Mm. Uh, but I'm very thankful to the Lord for his grace and for his mercy. Plymouth Brethren movement. How did that start? Was it, was it before Darby? Uh, it was maybe a few brethren uh, were meeting before Darby came in, but he was still an Anglican clergyman, church of Ireland, but connected with the Anglican church. He was a priest in Ireland and he was, uh, preaching the gospel amongst the Irish Catholics, and they were being converted between four hundred and eight hundred a week or so under under his ministry. And um, wow. the Archbishop of of uh, the Church of Ireland wanted to make the um, the com- converts to you know pledge an oath of allegiance to the King of England, and that sort of. Uh, sort of killed the revival a bit and that sort of blew Darby's mind like how can this be you know this interference of what the spirit was doing and uh, so he began meeting with a couple of these other fellows who were from various denominations and they were sort of tired of the sectarianism and they just wanted to meet as believers that was the idea Uh, and just to meet around the Lord's table and uh, and you know Darby came in amongst that group. That was sort of the beginning around, you know, between 1826, 1828 in Ireland. And then it sort of spread through England and the continent of Europe, especially Switzerland and Germany. Hmm. And uh, became a pretty big influential movement in that 19th century. Uh, I mean, when you say spread, it wasn't like, you know, they had uh, three guys, you know, in every county or whatever. I mean, it was, it became a very influential movement. And then of course that leads into the Bible conference movement here in America. But um, this is really where dispensationalism picked up steam. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Darby, uh, he was reading one time Isaiah chapter 32. And I 
and he and the other brand, this is what got them thinking about it, was Isaiah chapter 32, which is probably not a verse that you would think of or a portion of scripture that you would think of that would Yeah, I'm trying to remember you. anything that I remember from Isaiah 32, and I'm not coming up with anything. <laughs> yeah, right. No, where uh, it speaks of the state of Israel, and then verse 15, uh, it speaks of their desolation because of their disobedience and so on. Then in verse 15, it says, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. And, and he felt that to him appeared there would be another dispensation connected specifically with the nation of Israel, where the Holy Spirit would work amongst them in the future. Hmm. And then I think also Second Thessalonians chapter 2 was another passage uh, that uh, sort of awakened them to, to this yeah. idea that, that the church, and then Daniel's the 70th week, uh, and, and those things, putting those things together, that, that the church actually... It is not subject to the times and seasons that God uses uh, to 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 guide the events of the world. It's the people of Israel uh, is the nation by which He clocks the events in the world. But the church has nothing to do with that. It's it's the body of Christ, and so our hope is that He He will come for us, and then once the church is taken out, then He picks up that program again. With the, with the nation of Israel and the nations. Yeah. Uh, it's a big subject, of course, but sure. that, that's really how it began. And um, I think here in uh, North America, uh, post-millennialism seemed to have the sway at that time. But a lot of Christians were groaning under it because post-millennialism can, can lean, uh, lean towards liberalism in the sense that at least at that time period, it was leaning towards liberalism. You know, the idea of the ascent of man, you know, progress, uh, things are getting better. So the the advance of Christianity, and it seemed like Christianity was advancing, you know, with the, the various revivals yeah. and, and so on. So humanly, you, probably you could interpret it that way. But that was also mixed with, you know, uh, evolutionism, scientific discovery, all these things that show that everything is progressing, you know, moving up. And so there was this uh, liberal element amongst it. And in the Bible-believing Christians were sort of starting to groan under that. Uh, yes. And yeah, so the, when they... There was a, that, that clash, the early, early 20th century, but I guess it started late 19th century, the yeah. modernism versus yeah. fundamentalism clash. Yeah, well, that broke out in the 20th century, like this, into this open clash. But I think even previous to that, it it it, it uh, sort of shows how uh, uh, premillennial dispensationalism took off so quickly, like wildfire amongst evangelicals, because it's essentially a fundamentalism. Yeah, like the word of God is the word of God, and what it says is what it means, and you know, it means what it says. Uh, and, and that was something they were aching under because and and it moved them away gave them a, an answer to this tendency towards uh liberalism and i think that's why it exploded of course the the actual uh modernist versus fundamentalist controversy uh, came came a little bit later but 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 shows you what was what was actually already at work there i guess perhaps one of the blessings of that time was that liberalism was really showing its hand and people felt that there was a clear choice. You either go with what God has said in his word and you cling to it, or 
you're going to drift off into, mm -hmm. you know, these, these false teachings of, you know, evolution or, you know, no miracles, you know, fill in the blank, whatever the case may be. Right. And I, I guess at that time it was just all coming to a head where you couldn't mix the two anymore. You had to pick one or the other as, you know, Machen explains in his book. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I could see that where, um, at that time, yeah, people were embracing the true words of God and leaving systems that had mingled a bunch of false teachings into it. Yeah, and then the the the, the hope of the Lord's return, which I think, just like you know, me and my little park bench in Kelowna, British Columbia, you yeah. know, looking reading Revelation nineteen, like that 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 instinctive desire uh, and 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 idea that uh, the Lord Jesus is is coming. I think that's in the heart of all true believers, yes. even if doctrinally they have other views. I think that's there. And um, that's another reason that, that this, this took off. Fundamentalism as we know it really, I think, began at that time. Um, although fundamentalism, like all theological words, or all words get kind of corrupted over time. So when we say fundamentalists now, uh, you know, people make it the idea of like a, you know, uh, a KGV only guy or, mm -hmm. you know, or something like this. No offense to the KGV only listeners, but, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, like. We, we don't have many. <laughs> but it, it, no, it was really what fundamentalism was, was the, the literal understanding of the word of God, essentially. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and something that I don't know if very many people realize is that with post-millennialism, you have to reject the imminent return of Christ. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously they don't reject yeah. the return of Christ, right? but it, it can't be imminent because you're waiting for this millennium right. to take place before he returns. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Post-millennial meaning he returns after the millennium. And uh, thinking about the timeline of history again, you know, you got a couple world wars that... <laughs> get thrown yeah, yeah. into the mix during this time. And people are looking around saying, yeah, things really aren't getting better. I don't, I don't see a golden age of a millennium taking place. Uh, right. and, so, and so that probably did damage to the post mill position and really worked in favor of dispensationalism at that time. Right. Especially initially, like for example, when with Darby seven visits to the U S uh, contacting mostly his contact was with uh, fundamental Presbyterians like Dr. J. H. Brooks and St. Louis and so on, but that was in the midst of the Civil War, mm. uh, so that kind of really put a dent in the post-millennial idea. Here you have the North and the South all professing Christians killing one another on the battlefield. Like, you know, what's that all about? And it shows that the heart of man fundamentally doesn't change, and that that even if there is a revival, uh, uh, that hundreds of thousands of people get saved, you know. Uh, that doesn't mean that their children and grandchildren, you know, eventually uh, it wanes, you know. And so the the, the essential thought of postmillennialism is wrong. It doesn't see that, although maybe theologically it sees men are lost, but their their doctrine seems to be in opposition to that uh, because it, it, it almost suggests that things actually will improve. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I, think, I mean, that's that's essential to the whole view. Yeah, and you can't think of two theologies that are more uh, distinct, <laughs> and and you know positive negative opposites 
than post-millennialism and and uh, pre-millennial dispensationalism. You know, amillennialism kind of floats around <laughs> in the in the middle somewhere. You know, it, it's not connected with anything. But these are the two, uh, you know, opposites. Yeah. You, you can't think of anything more opposite than these two. And one of them has to be right. I mean, or what, or, or, you know, it, it um, there's, there's no mix there. there yeah. There's no compromise with, with, between the two of them. Well, well thinking about the, uh, the brethren movement that was catching on there in the 19th century into the 20th um, names that people might be familiar with. I think if I'm remembering this right, you've got FF Bruce was uh, part of that yeah. movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Elliott, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Hudson Taylor. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. Hudson Taylor, I think it was with a little assembly in in the UK originally. Yeah. Watchman Nee. Yeah. What with Watchman Nee, uh, he uh, came in contact with. He was already uh, preaching in China, and really had quite a ministry of people being saved. But he came in contact with some one group of brethren in London, and was reading their ministry. I think he read some of Darby's stuff. And in fact, he translated the Brethren hymn book, the Little Flock hymn book, into Chinese. Mm-hmm. And so his groups became known as the Little Flock, Little Flock churches, mm-hmm. Little Flock assemblies. But he had a falling out with Brethren. Uh, they were a little too conservative for him okay. and uh, and so on. So there was a falling out there. But And, and he had other views that were not in accordance, in accordance I think, with uh, some of the Brethren's teaching. But yeah, that would be a name. Uh, Hudson Taylor, and of course, D.L. Moody uh, was not associated with Brethren, but uh, he was greatly influenced by it. Okay, and any other names that people might know that I ones I didn't throw out there? F.F. Uh, F. Bruce is probably the big yeah. name from academia. Yeah, F.F. F. Bruce. Yeah, I can't really think of of of. Uh, we tend to be we tend to fly under the radar when it yeah, comes. Yeah. To- Amia, you know, <laughs> I appreciate that, uh, and and uh, and I also appreciate too that I've noticed that the church buildings are called meeting halls. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've actually made it a point in my ministry. I don't know when I started this, but I I just don't like calling any property the church. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, right. that's just not the biblical use of that word, right. and right. so um, I, I've always appreciated that about. Uh, you know the the brethren how you make yeah. sure not to call the building the church yeah well you sound like you're with the brethren well you yeah, are you're hey, a brother hey. of the lord so <laughs> i've at least got a big toe in the movement so yeah <laughs> but uh you know, um, in, England, in, in, in the uk years ago they used to just call it the room oh often they were rented places like upper rooms they would call oh yeah we're going to the room you know, um, not not going to, saying going to church would be like a no no. Yes, so, yeah, going to the room or we're going to the hall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I've been I've been catechizing my children in that that area too about making sure we don't say going to church. It just that's just not a biblical usage there. Yeah, but, we're the church, right? Yeah, that's uh, it. Believers are the church. The church is the people. Amen. Now, Amen. Uh, you did mention uh, a few moments ago about no instruments. Everything's a cappella there with your singing. What's what's yeah. the deal with that? Yeah, uh, basically in the Lord in the Lord's Supper. Okay, we're not anti music or anti instruments, but in the Lord's Supper, uh, we just feel like there's no real biblical basis for Christians uh, to in their worship. Our worship is is at the Lord's Supper, like. 
that's that's where that will that's what where the worship meeting happens um in gospel work or you know like in our local assembly we have a break between the meetings uh we have like a hymn sing and they get up the pianos and guitars and we sing some choruses for the kids and that type of thing so it's not you know and it varies from place to place so okay it's, it's not anti-instrument in any sense but we just feel that you know at the lord's table uh we're priests there we don't need all the gadgets and and you know the, the fog machines and the drums and the, mm-hmm. all of this to worship that you know making melody your in your hearts unto the lord uh that basically is is in most brethren assemblies you'll see that okay and you mentioned uh you know you are a first corinthians 11 observing movement which uh yeah. you know that's something that i've gone through over the last couple of years ended up writing a little book about it uh where i I've been converted to the uh, observing First Corinthians eleven two through sixteen. Um, before okay. I was I was a, an avoider of it. Now I'm an embracer of it. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, it, and it's one of those things when you gotta when you have to teach it or preach it, and you have and you're committed to being faithful to the Word of God. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you just kind of end up landing. Uh, it, in a place of saying, well, I, I got to explain this. I can't just say it's cultural. I can't just write it off one way or another. I got, I, I got to embrace what the word of God says here. Like I, like I do everywhere else. I can't just say, right. well, I, I prefer not to. Right. Exactly. No, it's good. I mean, it, it's so encouraging to the heart to see that, you know, there are Christians who uh, have a desire just to submit to the authority of the word, even when it is perhaps not the most popular thing uh, amongst other believers yeah uh, oh it's, yeah it's that's see. an understatement yeah, it's good to see. <laughs> but uh, I, i've noticed the the plymouth brother movement isn't i mean i guess because it's not a denomination yeah but it's not easy to i don't know find a bunch of information online about the the churches yeah. the the movement the no no i i what's what, what's the thinking behind that as far as well like okay uh we don't have generally we don't have bible schools or seminaries and that's the big thing mm. right there that's what that will drop you off the map of of you know evangelical church right, right there we generally don't have uh yeah bible schools or seminaries you know uh i never went uh it, it's within the local assembly that we're, we're taught and brought up and uh, not necessarily that we would be opposed to that but it's just not something that that we've done, mm-hmm. and it's small. It's a small. It's always been small. It's always been sort of, you know, out of the out of the limelight a bit, and uh, and then there's there's been developments amongst us too, uh, where uh, that some have gone into heterodoxy and, and cultish uh, aspects, like you know, you get the Taylorite brethren that they don't have any connection with other believers and this type of thing and some of them deny the eternal sonship so you know it's uh and if you look up online you might come in to uh, see them and, and mix them up with, exactly you know, yeah you start more... searching on youtube about the brethren and you'll find yeah. these documentaries yeah. about how cultish they are yeah yeah in fact when i was in england um i went by one of their meeting halls and it's they get up they got a fence around it and so on and they mm-hmm. they even have have sort of incorporated the name officially like legally plymouth Bre- plymouth brethren but they're very far removed from what uh actually brethren historically have taught 
Hmm. Uh, so, you know, you get these developments even, you know, in, in all groups where you have branch offs and, 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 and strains and developments and so on. But yeah, no, we're small, small groups, brethren, and smaller as time goes on. It, it, it almost gives the vibe of like Mennonite or something, you know, when you find out like, well, they're, yeah. they're not really online anywhere. You can't really find out much about them and their women cover their heads. You know, you just start putting, yeah, right. putting those things together and it's like, right. well, they must be Amish or something, but, but that's yeah. not the case, right? Oh, well, it's not the case. Uh, originally most of them were in, in, in Great Britain were Anglicans. Uh, came out of the Anglican Church, so no, they don't have any. And then see with the term brethren, so sometimes you get uh, confused with you know the Anabaptist, you know like mm -hmm. Mennonite and Amish and all this stuff. I think literally no connection, uh, no connection theologically. It's just totally uh, mm -hmm. a different uh, thing altogether. Well, I don't think we explained how you got from Pentecostal to that. So maybe let's re let's revisit that story. How, how did you even find out about the the brethren? Yeah. And how how did well, you come to embrace them? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, of course, it's not so much for me embracing the brethren as such because it's the you know every group every group of men fail you know and so but it was just simply the the doctrine doctrinal aspect more more or less. But I. Uh, Okay, I was in the Pentecostal church in the 70s, and my wife and I were married there. She was a Sunday school teacher there. But probably after about 10 years or so, I wasn't happy in my Christian life. You know, you know, I would go to the to the uh, meeting on Sunday and all the rah, rah, rah. But there wasn't a close, I wasn't having like a close uh, connection with the Lord anymore, a close walk with the Lord. Things were coming into my life. And so, you know, a Christian who who is is slipping and allowing things in their life. It's not a happy Christian, okay? And and that was my state at that time. I was uh, in my uh, late 20s, early 30s, early 30s, I would say. And, um, you know, that lady I mentioned to you that had the bookstore, and she had uh, recommended C.H. Uh, Macintosh. I had that in my library. She also had a little catalog there, Bible Truth Publishers, and I had opened it one day, this was, I think, in 76. I saw collected writings of Jan Darby. And for some reason, I just liked the cover design, you know, the 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 the, the, the paper jackets on, on the set. Oh, I said, uh, we called her Ma. I said, Ma, order me this set. So she she got that in for me. And, and so I got this 34-volume set of Darby. And I, I opened volume one, a letter to the archbishop on the occasion. And I said, I said what is this guy talking about? And I just closed it. I put so there it sat on my shelf. But then uh, there was another bookstore in town. It was a uh, run by like sort of a independent fundamental Baptist group, and uh, one of the brothers who worked there used to be with the brother, and he would order in brothers' books. And so I I, I purchased a, a book by G. V. Wigram, uh, one of the early brethren. I purchased a book by. Uh, William Kelly, uh, I purchased a book by F.W. Grant, but I, I didn't see any connection between them. It's just that when I read these books, I felt that there was a real ministry of the Spirit, that it was really Christ-centered. And, and again, you know, the truth of the coming of the Lord and all, I really felt it was the same Spirit, Holy Spirit, that, that saved me in the beginning. This same Spirit was opening up the word of God for me through these men. 
and I didn't know I didn't know anything about brethren who the so-called brethren were, and I didn't think there was e even any connection that with these fellows. Uh, it's just that they ministered to my soul, like I I, I was growing as I was reading them, and I had them here on my shelf. So one day I went to the shop uh, where I purchased them, and the guy's name was John. I said, "Hey, John, I'm reading these old English guys, right?" Uh, and they just minister to me. I'm so Christ centered the ministry in it. And, and I'm growing in the word and understanding of the word, something that in the Pentecostal church, I never really got, you know, there's a lot of rah, rah, there's gospel, but beyond that, there's not much. And I said, who are these guys? He said, Oh, they were, they were with the brethren, the brethren, who are they? Do they still exist? <laughs> <laughs> he said, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They have, there's they have a meeting hall here in town and so i got the addresses so one sunday i played hooky from church kim my, my wife was you know uh in the in the building downstairs somewhere teaching sunday school class and i slipped out during the service wow you know really really uh playing hooky there being bad yeah and bad I, christian <laughs> they were really bad and i went and so uh, their meeting hall was an abandoned strip mall and it was upstairs. Uh, and so I walked up these flight of stairs, creaky old stairs went in. And there were just a few, you know, people there. A couple gathered around a table with a loaf and a cup. It was quiet. No one was saying anything. Just totally quiet. And the brother read a verse. Another brother gave thanks. Another brother gave what a hymn, sang some hymns. And so this went on. I was thinking... I feel like I'm back in the New Testament somehow. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've come back home. I feel like, you know, and it's the same thing as I've been reading, you know. And uh, so it wasn't long uh, before Kim and I uh, left the Pentecostal church, uh, you know, with the women uh, evangelists and all the strange things, the strange prophesyings, you know, mm -hmm. this type of stuff. You know, I, I just couldn't... She didn't understand it at first because she came to Christ through a preacher in the Pentecostal church. And she said, Brian, you mean everything I've I've learned is, is wrong? I say, no, I said, the Lord is sovereign. He uses all sorts of Christians, even ones with different views and so on. I'm not judging. I'm just saying I, I have to be obedient to the Lord. I can't go on with what is clearly disobedient mm -hmm. to the Lord from what I understand in the word now and she accepted that and she said well uh she prayed and she said uh to the lord that you know if i'll submit to brian because he's my husband but if he's wrong lord show him and if i'm wrong show me Amen. that was her attitude and so so off we went you know i couldn't drag my wife back to the pentecostal church with a team of horses you know <laughs> it, get, it gets kind of kooky there sometimes you know and uh -huh. uh, even apart from the doctrine doctrines and uh, the armenianism and so on yeah but uh well we're, we're thankful for it and we're, we believe that the lord has led us along yeah but it's it's not like it's like sort of one extreme to the other right mm. <laughs> you know from a place of 500 people and it's rocking with them you know and then to a place where you get a half dozen people sitting around the lord's table it's, it's, you could hear a pin drop you know like uh. But I, you know, I always go extremes. I never pick the middle somewhere. You know? <laughs> well, it, it seems like today, if you were to find uh, a, a brethren assembly 
it's almost the same. You have to like know somebody who knows where they're meeting or something. Yeah. It, it seems like you can't even really Google yeah. where people meet. I mean, how, how are some yeah. people supposed to find <laughs> yeah. find, find well, these fellowships? Yeah, like the thing is, uh, like there's there's different circles and different circles of fellowship where we have like networks and stuff. And yeah. and sometimes we'll like uh, book with a list of gatherings in it where you'll like in our in our circle we have a little book that has a list of of the assemblies uh that we we have sort of a network where uh whereby you know you can have um uh, a unified um uh disciplinary uh um basis you know if someone ha- for example if someone falls into sin and they come under discipline that they just don't go down the road to the next place oh, yeah, you know yeah type of thing which sometimes happens and it can happen amongst christians and so thereby avoiding discipline uh so so that's what the book is for it's just to to, to have sort of like like a sort of a network or a circle of fellowship um but there's no like denominational headquarters there's no like synod or 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 headquarters uh yeah so we're a little bit uh mysterious a little bit out of the way uh small general assemblies are generally small uh, depends where you are like in germany the assemblies tend to be large uh you know when i say large i say just for brethren large is 100 or 200 that oh. <laughs> you know that, that that's large right for, for christians in utah that's also very large yeah <laughs> yeah you're right in the middle of uh a mormonism there right totally well, you're you're an oddity. How 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 does that happen? Like, well, yeah, I uh, did the Lord bring you there, or, or are you from there? No, I, I'm I'm from Central Missouri, and uh, became a believer at the age of sixteen. Yeah, when uh, my mom passed away, the mm-hmm. the Lord had us living next to a non denominational Bible church, and uh, I I didn't start attending there until I was sixteen, and this was just right. the Lord's beginning. You know, to draw me to himself and right. getting everything set up for what was about to happen the next summer. And uh, yeah, it was June of 2006. My my mom committed suicide and oh. uh, you know, I was just left with my dad, who at that time was a drunk um, oh, and wow. I, no siblings. So just left with him. Yeah. But I've been going to this church and been hearing the gospel. And that's when I right. first believe uh, yeah. it was June 22nd, 2006. And, uh, I, anyway, uh, became a believer there and began to be discipled and ended up going to, uh, a non-denominational Bible college in Kansas city. Mm -hmm. And, uh, while I was there, my dad got saved. Uh, while I was there, I, I met some, uh, church planters in Utah and, Mm -hmm. uh, I was a free agent at that point and said, I, I just want to serve the Lord, uh, wherever he takes me. And, uh, this, made too much sense for us to say no. We we actually uh, were looking at two ministries, interestingly enough, uh, one in Niagara and then one out here. Um, oh. So we went we went up to Niagara, Niagara. New York, not Niagara, Canada. Right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So we, we went up there and uh, my wife and I, and we actually lived there for a month and worked mm-hmm. with the church up there and right. uh, got to know the ministry and what it was like, the culture and everything. And then we came out to Utah to see what that was all about ended up choosing Utah, uh, and it was just too good of a fit. And so we've been out here now uh, nine years, and it's been a major, major blessing. We This is home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, do you have a lot of contact with Mormon people? I, mm-hmm. I, I suppose you do, because everybody pretty well. Yeah. 
one yeah, this is the most densely populated Mormon region in the world. We yeah. are just 15 minutes south of Provo. Provo is the Mecca. That's where Brigham Young University is. Okay. And uh, our valley is now probably close to 650,000 people. And it's around 80% Mormon. Not, wow. not, not all of them are gung-ho Mormons. Yeah, Many yeah, yeah. of them are, though. So. Yeah. Is there like a uh, a cultural Mormonism, just like there's a cultural oh. Christianity, like they were brought up in it, but it has no impact on their life? Yeah. I mean, you're familiar with uh, America, New England there and the yeah. cultural Catholicism that's there, or Roman Catholicism. It's the same exact thing where yeah. you've got people who that's what they grew up with. They know all the stories. They've got the pictures in their house and they've never heard right. the gospel. The same right. thing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so. Uh, so, yeah, we, we are one half of 1% evangelical Christian in our valley. So, wow. Yeah. wow. And, and so the Christians there must really know one another or oh, link. Or have all one. the Christians know each other. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have to, because we were, yeah. I mean, we're all we got. So yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's one thing I, I really appreciate about Utah is that we're so insulated from the rest of the world, really, but especially American Christianity yeah. denominationalism isn't a thing here because there's no room for it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we we all just kind of, you have to rely on one another and our local fellowships have to be genuine. There's right. just no other way to to do it here. It's You can't have the country club mentality that a lot of American churches have. Right. I, I know a lot of folks from Egypt. There are a lot of uh, brethren assemblies in, in Egypt. Hmm. Uh, when I say a lot, uh, you know, between two or 300 assemblies, but some of them are quite big um, with several hundreds of people, maybe even 500 people or so, wow. uh, especially in Cairo, but and in the Alexandria area. Uh, and most of them originated in the Coptic church, uh, but were evangelized in the late 1800s and early 1900s by brother missionaries from the UK. Hmm. And, um, but a lot of them immigrate here to Canada. You know, they're professionals, you know, like um, pharmacists, engineers, doctors. Because in Egypt, uh, a, a Christian, if a Christian goes for a job and a Muslim goes for a job, even if the Christian is more qualified, the Muslim will get it. So there's, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of there's a lot of that type of pressure, mm-hmm. but but also uh, uh, blatant uh, persecution where meeting halls and churches get firebombed. Uh, usually it's the Coptics that it happens to because they're more high profile than the brethren or the Baptists with their big, you know, uh, church, church buildings. Right. Everything's uh, more ornate in that tradition. Yeah. Yeah. Orthodox tradition. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but why what, what I'm saying this is that in speaking with my, my brethren from Egypt, uh, one of the things there is that denominationalism really isn't a big point. Hmm. It's if you're an actual believer, the question isn't, you know, what your background is. The question is that you're a, you're a believer yeah. because they're under such pressure. Uh, it, they're just believers because of the persecution from from Islam, hmm. and uh, you're not persecuted in Utah, but you, you feel that you feel. You know the the community, the, the community of believers, uh, and you see what really is most valuable and most important is our unity in Christ. Mm-hmm. You know that we're one body, 
uh, and, and some of the other barriers and, and, and lines are man-made and artificial. I'm not saying that you, you shouldn't have your own exercise, your own principles and so on. But ultimately at the bottom, uh, we're, we're one uh, yeah. in Christ. Yeah. Well, and living someplace where you go to talk to somebody, um, you know, say you're at a, a city festival or something and we're out doing evangelism uh, as, you know, a, a body you have a 99.5% chance of talking to somebody who has no connection to biblical Christianity. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That, uh, that really motivates you in evangelism. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah, where, yeah, yeah. where I grew up, everybody was Christian quote unquote, you know, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Or, or at least had an association to where right. they could, you know, give you the right answers or whatever. And in the conversation, right. if you talked about it, they wouldn't look at you like you're from Mars. They would have some right. context to put you in, but where you are now, it's like another planet. Yes. I mean, yeah, near 100% chance of talking to somebody who is going to be hearing things for the first time, Yeah, which is very exciting. Uh, and it, it's highly motivating. So, yeah. Do you do a lot of outreach there? Right? Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we try to be real, real creative with it as much as we can. Yeah. Uh, the, the Mormons are a very community oriented people. So there are a lot of community events and we, we try to, you know, work our way into those, um, not just as <laughs> like moles who are, you know, disguising ourselves and getting in there, but, you know, wanting to serve them and uh, pro provide something for them, whether it's an event for kids or, uh, you know, helping to, to serve in some way with, with some event. Right. But, but getting into the community and maintaining our distinctions while we serve them. And that's yeah. really hard for them because so much of their, uh, community feel is based on their common belief that Joseph Smith was a prophet. Yeah. And so uh, to, to want to be a part of the community while denying that Joseph Smith was a prophet is a bit challenging. And so we, yeah, we yeah. have to get creative with that. Yeah. 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 They're very family oriented, mm -hmm. uh, or at least professedly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the ones who aren't practicing, they, there's that conviction for sure. And, and very conservative mm -hmm. uh, morally. Yeah. Uh, so much we would agree on, you know, with them on yeah, that. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. but uh, our, the way that we get there is so different. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So that's right. Now, uh, again, I, I wanted to go back on to something you said with, uh, your meetings. You, you said that first meeting you went to going up the creaky stairs mm -hmm. and, uh, there you happen upon a few people gathered around the bread and wine or juice wine okay <laughs> sorry <laughs> so you're not that baptist <clears throat> okay no. um all right you said quiet enough to hear a pin drop someone reads a passage someone right. prays gives thanks uh is there a sermon not at the lord's supper no okay the lord's, the lord's supper is the main meeting it's and that's sunday morning that's Sunday morning. Okay, I'll just tell you, tell you how it goes. You know, we come in. Yeah. Usually the chairs are arranged generally in a circle or a rectangle, like around the table. And we just come and sit in, sit in our chairs, just like in regular uh, church setting. Um, there's no program. There's no, you know, like this is the order of service, how it's going to be. We just come. But I mean, you know, we have our habits and everything. Yeah. Uh, so a brother may give out a hymn or read a verse and, and the hymn or the verse 
tend will tend to set sort of like the the theme, you know, and um, some aspect of Christ's work, his person, uh, his cross work, you know, and so bro different brothers will get up on occasion and read a verse, um, uh, uh, suggest a hymn, and then we'll sing the hymn a cappella. So that's that just how it goes until that will go say, well, in our, our assembly, we start at 10 in the morning and that'll run till about 20 to 11 or so. And then a brother will, will stand and give thanks for the loaf and then the loaf is distributed. And then, um, then the same brother will give thanks for the, for the cup. Uh, now since COVID we've been, you we take the cup and we do, then we squirt it into the little before that we always all drank from the same cup but in our okay. local assemblies we we use the little distributor distributing cups you know uh and and then um a brother will just you know close in prayer you know uh in our local like again it may vary from assembly assembly you know there's no cookie cutter uh thing uh in our assembly we'll have like a time of fellowship and some uh um uh light refreshments you know once every two or three months we'll have a uh, we'll have a uh, you know full fledged you know fellowship meal potluck meal and then uh at uh, one o'clock uh we have what we call open ministry and open ministry so is again you're not going home and coming back this is all one continuous in our meeting no uh, okay. because some live you know several miles out and so, sure. so like in our in, in other assemblies could be different like i said there's no set thing yeah in our assembly yeah so we just stay for the day uh, and so we uh yeah then we have what we call open ministry that is there's no chosen speaker and we just sort of wait on the lord you know a brother open prayer maybe have a hymn and uh the pattern is that uh, there be, can be no more than three. You know, we sort of loosely base that on in Corinthians that yeah. let at most two or three. And that's also in First uh, Corinthians fourteen, where it says, yeah. "When you gather together, one of you brings a hymn, one of you brings yeah. this, one Psalm, of you brings that." Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So I, I can't say that it it was exactly like it was in the New Testament era. Um, we're, we're not Pentecostals, <laughs> you know. We're, we don't have the signs and the wonders, uh -huh. and also. Uh, there seems to be certain revelatory gifts still operating in the apostolic era, but uh, we try to at least as much as we can in our state of things and condition of things here in the church is to, is to base it on that, you know, like that principle of the guidance of the Holy spirit in the meetings and so on. And, um, but generally the brothers that do minister are ones that are capable of it. Yeah. Although if a brother had a, a real word on his heart, he is at liberty. But the, the pattern is let the prophet speak and, and let the rest judge. Like if, you know, if someone gets up and says something really goofy, that we, he might be digging aside and say, hey, brother, you know. Um, we had a brother uh, in fellowship with us who was amillennial. And when he asked to remember the Lord with us on like a, a regular basis, he was originally from Russia. Good brother. And uh, we we interviewed him and said, yes, we receive you, even though you're an amillennial brother. We're, you know, we're pre-millennial. You're a brother in the Lord. Wow. We love you. We receive you. But the pulpit is a pre-millennial pulpit. Hmm. We said that right up. It's a pre-millennial pulpit. Because as elders, we have responsibility to guard 
what is taught uh, to the flock, right? So um, how did I get on that story? Anyway, uh, yeah, so, so basically there is guards, there is guardrails, you know. Yeah. Um, now, if when I, because I have sort of an itinerant ministry, if I'm visiting assembly or if another brother similar to me is visiting our assembly, we generally use that Sunday open ministry slot for for them. Okay. Like if they want to have a word of teaching or if they want to have a series of meetings over several days of teaching or whatever, that slot is given to them. And so when I, uh, for example, when I was in, uh, I was just in the UK, I was in Birmingham. I had three meetings, uh, two were on the Lord's Day and one was on another day. When I was in Lowestoft, England, I had three meetings there. Uh, I think it was Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, or whatever uh, special meeting. So they open it up to the visiting brother, and, and that's more of like a prepared sermon. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, it's you know something definitely that I have in my heart. That's you know that's you know I have an outline. I have mm. you know, just like just like you do. You know, it's just yeah. Um, you have something that you want to bring definitely. Yeah. Eastern Europe too. You spend some time, quite a bit of time there. It seems Poland yeah. and. Romania and Moldova, and okay. I, I was to Poland once, and I may, Lord willing, go there again in October if I don't have to get my knee replacement there. <laughs> and I'll end up in Germany. There's a big conference in Dillenburg where it's it's just a a, a, a a conference of men, those who are involved in the Lord's work, about 1,500. You know, we get to have a big Bible study, hmm. you know, <laughs> in this conference. But, um, yeah, Eastern Europe, I really... My heart somehow is really uh, linked with the Eastern Europeans and um, the Romanians and Moldovans, especially. Mm. Um, yeah, it's uh, basically, I think, uh, maybe a dozen or more assemblies so far that I've visited and have had meetings in, in Romania, maybe even more than that, uh, throughout the country, both in the south, like Bucharest and Craiova, which are close to the Black Sea, but also up in Transylvania, you know, uh, in the old Saxon and Hungarian air areas of, wow. of Romania have meetings up in there. And, um, but the Romanians, you know, the Romanians are Latin, right? So uh, they're very warm. Mm -hmm. If you hear Romanians spoken, it's very similar to Italian. Okay. Very and warm. They, so, they come up to you and greet you, kiss, kiss. Oh, yeah, you can kiss us, right? You know, well, they say, brother, it's scriptural. You know, give the a holy kiss. I say, I know, but I'm Anglo Saxon. So just, you know, just keep your distance, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> but, you know, there's the a real link there with them. And, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I uh, love the brethren there. And, um, you know, and the thing is, too, uh, they don't worry about the clock like we do in North America when there's a message. Okay. So I know my translator, Emmanuel, he says, Brother Brian, he says, don't worry about the time. Because in Canada, if you go like over 45 minutes, you know, people are looking at their watches, you know. So don't don't worry about the time. Right. You're you're in Romania. And you know, when you're preaching with a translator, that that automatically takes extra time. If if the message is a half hour, then with the translator, it's going to be almost an hour. Right. You're going back and forth, right? He says, two hours, no problem, he said, right? So I was in uh, Brezhov, which is up in Transylvania, beautiful town, old Saxon architecture. And uh, so a man was, yeah, but I'm two hours, no problem. So, so I had my message, went probably about 
an hour and 55 minutes and and I I I sat down and it was quiet. And then a brother at the back stands up, uh brother Brian, can you can you uh uh teach us can you give um explain dis- can, yeah, can you explain dispensationalism what it is? Right. I think he said it for more like the younger ones. No, like, okay. Yeah. It's like, well, well yeah, like give me five more minutes. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I think I went about a half an hour and gave a brief, Oh wow. a quick, a quick outline. So I like that about it, you know? Sure. Uh, well, there's a real interest in the word, you know, and. Uh, wow. Uh, yeah, that, so. what, what you're describing there sounds a lot like what I've read in a book, uh, a book. Uh, called Life in His Body, yeah, by Lang, I think. Do you know mm-hmm. anything about that book? No, I'm not familiar. Okay, with it's it. it's an older one, and I'm sure it's out of print now. Um, yeah. But it was basically a call to to go back to more of the description of the early church meeting and yeah. what that was like. And uh, boy, that it just feels so dangerous, right? As far as uh, it's people can speak. I know you said like naturally people with capabilities are the ones who do the speaking, but yeah, yeah. It, it just feels very scary. Yeah. It's um, <laughs> it, yeah, it would for someone who's probably not so used to, to that, that uh, it, because you, it seems like there's no control or there's, you know, but really uh, so far, I mean, I've been with brother now since let's see, 85 since 1985 and i mean so far the lord has preserved us from anything too crazy you know mm-hmm. <laughs> you know at least in our local group uh yeah um it's you know it, it, there's a certain step of faith there to trust the lord you know mm-hmm. and, and the holy spirit and as you say like generally th- those who are able are the ones who take the lead in speaking but any brother, he may have just a, a brief word or some thought on his heart. And then the, the more able brother would maybe get up and elaborate on it, mm-hmm. you know, and bring it out in, 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 a, in a, a deeper way or not a deeper way, but more lengthily uh, in, in the message and more detailed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it, it, I can see how it would be scary uh, if that's not what you're you're used to. Yeah, for sure. Um, you doing okay on time? Yeah. Okay. Because right, I, I got one more topic I want to open up, but I don't know how long. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I'm. <laughs> All right. Amen. Well, um, you are in a unique position as not not only where you are um, in the Christian world as a member of the Plymouth Brethren, mm-hmm. but also as a Canadian. Mm-hmm. And that comes through a lot in the thoughts that I, I see you share on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You st- seem to me to be someone who is just very much against the traditional American conservative uh, pushback against government. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take the ball and run. yeah well part of that okay there may be two tracks on that or two two influences let's put it that way on my view of that one is actually doctrinal from what i learned from from the brethren uh writers that i've studied over the years especially uh, jay and darby but all of them took a, a strong uh uh position 
that the church is not a, a, a political body in the world or ought not to be dangerous actually hmm. for the church. You ought to be separate from that. Uh, and the other, I guess maybe could be cultural from me, you know, uh, uh, that I look, I look at the U S and I say, what in the world? <laughs> yeah. That, that comes through pretty clearly on uh, some of the things I've seen. <laughs> yeah. It's, it seems truly foreign to you. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and I'm look, I don't have an anti, uh, American sure. bone in my body. My daughter is American. She married an American guy. She lives in New Jersey. You know, I've been to the States more times than I can count. I minister the word down there. I love them. Like Canadians are basically Americans that still are, but are part of the British Commonwealth. Mm -hmm. Like it's the same people, right? So it's not, yeah. there, there is cultural differences, but it's not that big. But the, the, the whole political thing, I think it's a uniquely USA thing of this this um this sort of this almost like uh, how can you say it almost somehow is the united states somehow in the church or somehow uh intertwined so sometimes when they're talking about things you don't know if they're talking about the church or if you're talking about the country like that's the impression that i i get now i'm sure that they would make a distinction but it can be an impression that one gets so maybe sometimes i push back against that a little but um i don't want to uh, create uh, uh, a fight with my american brother well well it certainly uh reveals that distinction between where you stand doctrinally and where post-millennialists are i mean because the, yeah. obviously the whole post-millennial thing is to be involved politically to the point of seeking to establish christian governments in yeah. society and that is just yeah, yeah. a radically different approach to yeah. evangelism yeah uh you know i said that in the 19th century uh there was a reaction uh against post-millennialism by evangelical believers in the u.s because of the nascent or tendency toward liberalism mm. but what i what i've noticed now is uh amongst the post-millennials is is not the tendency towards liberalism uh they're they're fundamental in in, in some respects but it there's but there's a, a, a tendency towards uh political uh activism and even to the point of almost what one might consider far-right extremism or this type of thing there can be seems to be that tendency you know uh and I think personally, and this is just my 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 judgment of it, is that is is that it, it may come from frustration that because because we're not seeing the revival, because we're not seeing you know uh, uh, millions converted to Christ and the kingdom of God established, and because uh, Jesus is King, you know, because He's King, because He's over all things, we have to take. Uh, act for him in the world and, and take it into our hands take the control of government take the reins of government this is at least this is the impression that i that i get from them so it's 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 uh and that that tendency is is dangerous because it can political activism can lead to even to to violence uh in my opinion you know we've got we've got history as our teacher on this you know in in uh, Germany, in the nineteen late nineteen twenties, early nineteen thirties, uh, 
I said earlier, there's a lot of Brethren assemblies in Germany. At that time, I think there was uh, about 750 assemblies, many of them quite large. But the economic situation in Germany and the post-war situation and so on, the country was really in desperate straits. And um, the many of the, even the Brethren got caught up in the Make Germany Great Again movement, okay, to... Uh, push back against communism because they were worried about Bolshevism because in 1917 you had the Bolshevik revolution in mm. Russia and that was working actually in Germany uh, the Bolsheviks were hiring a lot of the World War I soldiers who didn't have jobs and they formed paramilitaries in the street so the, the middle class and the upper classes, the industrialists were worried about communism taking. so all these things were you know, at work and, and the Christians, of course, you know, got swept up in, into it as well. And I'm sad to say, uh, Jeremy, that uh, I can't speak for the Baptists or the Presbyterians in Germany or the Lutherans. And I'm sure it's the, probably the same uh, percentage. But three quarters of the laboring brethren, what we call laboring brethren, like full-time ministers, uh, were... Uh, Car-carrying Nazis ended wow. up being Nazis. Yeah, and uh, look, it can happen again, right? No, oh, yeah. If circumstances in society uh, break down to that degree, but as Christians, we have to be very careful about getting swept up in populist political movements. That's just my feeling that we have to be very, very careful because, especially if you identify with one too much. Then you, you've lost the other side you know, with the gospel, and and you're identified with a political party or a political group. Uh, you know, like when I, if you share the gospel here in Canada, sometimes and uh, to people they'll say, uh, "Oh, uh, are you a Republican?" Even though we're <laughs> we're living in Canada, right? Are you a Republican? You you agree with the Republicans? You know, like, well, no, no, uh, you know, I have nothing to do with that. You know, like, uh, it, you have to sort of disassociate yourself mm. from it somehow. I don't know That's if that makes sense to you. No, it, it does. It well, I, I'm curious. I mean, how how do you respond to the critique from, you know, c conservative Americans that look at, you know, maybe particularly your experience as a mm. Canadian through this uh, whole virus situation that's happened i, I kind of want to avoid those buzzwords that yeah uh apps pick up on and then flag so yeah. uh you know they look at your experience and say okay you're you're getting the jab you're rolling over for big government that's telling okay. you when and where you can meet and all that stuff yeah. um you're you're not thinking for yourself you're just doing whatever the government tells you to do mm -hmm. and they say look that the church is to be bold the church is to go against tyrannical government mm -hmm. what's your what's your response to that yeah well first of all i i don't believe the church's role is to go against tyrannical government mm. i i don't see it in the scripture churches going against tyrannical government except when the government if it's tyrannical or whatever uh, autocratic or whatever word you want to use uh makes us do something that 
uh, goes against conscience or the word of God. So you let, have. Let, let me be a post mill advocate here. And I don't okay. want to say devil's advocate, post mill <laughs> advocate. Uh, <laughs> Paul referred to his Roman citizenship on a couple of occasions and, yeah. you know, said, hey, you, you, you can't do this. And so um, the government telling us when we can meet or when we can't meet, that yeah. goes against the word of God and we should stand up and push back. Yeah. Yeah. Paul did plead his Roman citizenship on two or three occasions. Usually it was to get himself out of a, out of a jam, you know, <laughs> like the mob was going to tear him to pieces and he would tell the Roman centurion, Hey, I'm a Roman citizen, but, but I don't see any, any hint of any type of uh, uh, idea to make Rome uh, 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 a Christian place, um, a, a place, a libertarian thought uh, other than, to bring the gospel to people. That's all I, I see in the New Testament. There, there may be lines, and there are lines, that can be crossed by the government. And, you know, you have Acts, I think it's chapter 4, verse 29, is an act where, you know, we ought to obey God rather than man. And case in point, I mentioned Germany. Uh, and many of my uh, brethren there have told me about their parents and their grandparents during that time where uh, the Nazis wanted to put the Christians in a thing called the Bund. And the Bund, Bund is like a, an association. So under like the umbrella uh, uh, of uh, the Gestapo, sort of like a registered church idea. And so uh, basically because the uh, Gestapo wanted to regulate, you know, what was taught and and to basically spy on, on the Christians. Well, a lot of the Christians, just to avoid persecution, uh, went along with it. And even as, as I mentioned, our assemblies, our assemblies were basically split over that half. Half went with the Bund to avoid persecution. And some of them were actually pro-Nazi in the first place. Okay. And and this would be the same with other groups of wow. Christians. Uh, and the it's ones hard, that, hard to, I mean, that, that seems like it was a million years ago. <laughs> it was less than a hundred years ago. I mean, that's crazy oh, yeah. to think about. I mean, and obviously history can repeat itself. I, well, I was born in 1952. What's that? What? Uh, how many years since the 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 what seven eight, nine years or whatever since the end of the World War II? So I'm. You know, I'm a baby boomer, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. So it wasn't that wasn't really that long ago, uh, but some of the assemblies and I and and there were uh, other evangelical Christians who who opposed this. Some became politically like Bonhoeffer took an active role in opposing, but others simply just wanted to meet because the Lord said, you know, do not forsake the assembling yourselves together. Um. Uh, it wasn't because there was a pandemic or anything. It was it, it, it was because you know uh, Nazism was imposing their rule on the churches mm -hmm. in principle. So uh, uh, they they resisted that. They continued to meet because the Lord says, you know, remember me in my death. That's that's a word from the Lord. You know, Do not forsake the assemblies of yourselves together. That's that's a word from the Lord. And so they met in the home. Some were taken to death camps. Uh, some were murdered. And uh, a friend of mine who was a fellow laborer in the Lord in Germany, uh, his grandparents uh, were part of that group that that uh, uh, 
you know, would not submit to that particular mm-hmm. command. And they got visited by the Gestapo and, and threatened, although they weren't put in into the death camp. So, yeah, it, you know, there are there are lines. And uh, but each in our conscience and each of us locally in our local assemblies have to decide when that line. It's, it's not always so clear, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, what I felt coming out of the pandemic, uh, a lot uh especially in the post-millennial camp, use it as an occasion uh, to stir up this whole uh, anti-government sort of uh, uh, theology. Um, but I respect the conscience of, of any group of Christians that say, hey, you know, I, I don't believe in vaccination or I don't think that the government has any say in our meeting together or anything like that. I totally respect that we here in in our town uh were uh able to meet still in uh, small groups and so what we did is we simply met in homes and had the lord's supper just with two or three in each home so things kept going on Mm. just that the 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 meeting hall was empty Mm. you know meetings kept going you seem much slower to embrace what uh, I guess most people would call conspiracy theories that, uh, you know, yeah. Americans are uh, well, and especially through this well, last ordeal, the last few years. I mean, there, this has been a very unique time in American history, world history. And uh, there are uh, of course, a lot of narratives that are competing with one another about yeah. what on earth is going on. Hmm. And you seem quicker to embrace what would be like the official narrative yeah. uh, rather than the alternative news theories or, or explanations of what's yeah. going on with either yeah. the disease itself or the solutions that were provided, you know, through the jab and whatnot. Yeah. So what what's your thinking there as far as why you're, you're quicker to embrace what you're, what you're being told? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> maybe just cause I'm Canadian, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know we're the ones say eh? we're the ones that went with the uh, with the uh, with the, the 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 crown and you guys were the ones that rebelled against it so true maybe, very true maybe genetic you know, I don't know. <laughs> uh you know conspiracies uh the thing is you can't even use the word conspiracy now because if you use uh that's a conspiracy uh, they say that that's just you know uh, a word that you're using, and and now the what we call conspiracies now are sh- uh, being proved to be true. So it's a whole you know ball of wax uh, that you can't unravel. But um, I what I say is this: Look, uh, you have all these voices, all these conspiracy theories, all this. Let's just say, for example. They're true. So what? Hmm. Right? I don't feed on security, on conspiracies or ideas. I feed on the word of God. I feed on Christ. Right? That's my basic answer. Like the world is full of of ideas, thoughts, political theories, conspiracies, conspiracy. You know, when I went I went to uh, when I was in Romania last, two different occasions, two different towns. After the after I had the message, in both places it was an older man. Like I say, I'm 71, older than me, came up to me and said, "Brian, what's it like living 
in a tyranny because I'm from Canada, right? Yeah, right. That's oh, that's, that's how we oh, do that, it. Oh, that's 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 news to me. I mean, I <laughs> I, I feel, but you know, they've been on the internet, you know, and that's why I tell old people: be careful. Okay, be careful. Mm-hmm. You don't know what it's all about. There's uh, algorithms. You know, you 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 order a suitcase uh, online, and then all of a sudden you're seeing suitcases everywhere on your feed. You know, like. If you if you go down some type of rabbit hole, then everything is 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 confirmatory. You know, it's like like you get end up in some type of cul-de-sac somewhere where you think everything about this particular topic is true, but it's it's just uh you know it's, it's something that's that's not true at all. I said I told these old brothers you should know better. You guys grew up under communism. Uh, the Christians in Romania actually suffered under uh, Stalinist Leninist. Uh, government, Ceausescu, until he was overthrown. Uh, they had to meet in the woods and meet in apartments secretly and so on. So they, they know about tyranny. It, it really hasn't come to that point yet in Canada, as far as I'm aware. You know, like mm. I, we could get there, you know. Yeah. Well, and, and we I will mean, get there. I mean, eventually we see that there's going to be one world government, the beast, all these things will come. I'm not worried about that. Yeah. I'm not worried about that. My eyes are on the Lord Jesus hmm. and fulfill his word as much as I can locally and, and, and further afield as as the Lord allows, enables, and, and so on. If the government steps in, then we'll deal with that when, when it happens. Uh, I don't think it's my business to set the government right. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think from our perspective is we want to, if, if we were to really articulate this in the most favorable way american christians want to preserve the common grace common sense that has existed for so long in the traditional west uh that allowed for many freedoms that we've enjoyed now obviously there's um a negative side to that where i think the american church and maybe even the canadian church uh generally speaking has fattened itself on its freedoms and become hmm, uh, impotent or something. But mm-hmm. uh, but w- when you look at governments, the, the Canadian government seems crazy. Uh, mm-hmm. The p- mm-hmm. passing of the, the laws that have to do with all the crazy sexuality stuff and yeah, transgenderism yeah. and, uh, you know, Trudeau is... Yeah, yeah. as far left as it seems someone could be, you know, yeah. it, it just, it seems wild to us where at least we still have this democratic Republic thing going on where there's checks and balances within our right. unique system of government. And it seems like Canada, you're just in a terrible spot with a terrible guy leading this terrible philosophy yeah. in the government. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he'll probably get pushed out in the next election anyway, because the conservative guys ahead of him. Okay. Uh, so, but the general trend, you know, uh, probably won't change. Yeah. Uh, even when government should, it's 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 moving that way, uh, and um, I don't know if we like with the the whole genderism thing, homosexual thing, all of that. Uh, you're not going to you're not going to unroll that even if you get a so-called Christian government, because it's in the society itself. It's mm-hmm. in other structures that have power as well. Uh, media, uh, all sorts of things. So uh, it, 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 
it's coming, right? Yeah. Apostasy is coming. It is coming. I'm not saying that we can't be a voice, but I think we should be more a voice in the sense of like uh, preaching, like the pulpit and, and so on, rather than, you know, some type of uh, actual political activism. Uh, that's my feeling. Um, it, it's, you know, not necessarily a hill that I, I die on. It's not... It, it, it's not a fundamental doctrine, but there, you know, the, it, I see that direction. Yeah. Uh, but I think it may be partially due to Twitter and 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 uh, social media, where things tend to get magnified. But you may be just seeing a, a, a slice. That right now it seems that the post millennials seem to be very loud and very aggressive. Well, yeah, because what what you're espousing is just loser theology, right? We we lose down here is. Oh, yeah. The guy uh, above your right shoulder there, uh, Johnny Mack has said, we lose down here. Uh, right. <laughs> oh, you noticed him up there. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I got my camera facing the wrong way because I got Mr. Darby up here. And <laughs> uh, but yeah, well, you, yeah. You, it looks like you've got the whole set of Johnny Mack. So. Yeah, I do. Actually, a brother gave me that. Yeah. Good. Your brother gave me that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think... I, I understood what uh, Brother MacArthur was saying there, mm -hmm. um, and um, that um, that really raised the hornet's nest <laughs> that exploded. I mean, it isn't that that seems so wild to me. Something that is so obvious in the New Testament when you look at the life of Jesus, mm -hmm. when you look at uh, the persecution of the church, mm -hmm. uh, when you look at the prophecies about what's going to take place. Mm -hmm. It's all about us losing down here. Mm -hmm. But of course, our savior, Jesus Christ winning the war and ultimately God making all things right and making all things new. But mm -hmm. for this age, I mean, it's, it, it, we're not going to, as he said, waltz into the kingdom. Right. Uh, it's going to be uh, through many trials and tribulations that the persecutions, we will enter the kingdom Acts 14. Right. So, that's not to say that there can't be bright spots and yeah, revivals. I, I was saved in a revival. That's it. Yes. And everywhere I looked, I was seeing Christians, and it was great and everything. But Jesus will build his church exactly. through tribulation. Exactly. And I believe our path is, as Christians, and if you want to use uh, dispensational terminology in, in this present uh, period where the Lord is building this church, before he takes up uh, the nations and Israel again, you know, he's calling out the flock. He's calling out his joint heirs. Yes. And and our path is the same path as Christ was, was, was to be a testimony in the world to, uh, to follow him, uh, a rejected savior. He is a rejected savior. Yes. He's Lord of all. Yes. He's the King of Kings, but he has not yet taken his great power and reign. He's rejected. Uh, and we follow that path. Paul says we're lambs as lambs to the slaughter. That's our pathway. We follow the lamb. We keep uh, uh, take a place of lowliness, of service, of suffering, not of reigning. Reigning time will come. Someone said, "This is training time, not reigning time." Mm -hmm. You know, the the reign will come. Psalm two, uh, Son of God, King of Israel, with the rod of iron. Rod of iron. Take, that's it. That's right. He'll. That's why. That's why I'm a monarchist. <laughs> he'll. He'll take that that rod, and you know, uh, and the Father will give him um, the 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 nations for his inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for his possession. 
And so we wait for that. But meanwhile, we'll serve him in loneliness here. Yes. And I understand exactly what uh, Brother MacArthur was saying, that in the sense that that we're not going to win in the sense of that we will have the preeminence, that we'll have the power. No, that, that's not our place in the first place. And I believe with the post-millennial brethren is that they have a false hope to begin with. You know, if you, you, if you base your, your, your Christianity on a certain hope that's not biblical, that hope will be, will be shattered at some point. It's happened in the past uh, with uh, uh, periods of Christian history where uh, it looked like everything was going our way, but then uh, it, you know, eventually some event in the world. Reality set in. <laughs> right. Man is the same. The same man that crucified Christ 2,000 years ago, the same heart is here today. We've got a lot of technology, a lot of medical science, keeps us alive longer. We're thankful for all those things and, 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 and all the conveniences and everything. But the man of heart, the, the heart of man has not changed one iota. Mm. It's the same. That's it. Yep. Yeah, we're told to expect it. Yeah. Now, if someone's wanting to uh, hear more from from Brian, how, how do people do that? You got messages or articles or anything like that out there uh, where people? Well, yeah, can... I have. Um, I've got uh, the Lord is near daily. Uh, it's online, but it's also like in hard copy. Uh, uh -huh. It's called the Lord is near daily Bible meditations. Um, there's also a a link. I can give you the link after where you can go online. Uh, I think it's also on iTunes, but the the link I have is more for an app. Okay, you get an app for that. There's that, and then on YouTube, I do Bible exposition, basically chapter by chapter. Right now, I'm going through Jeremiah, but I've done Isaiah, the Psalms, and so on. Try not to go over. I try not to go over thirty minutes, so it's fairly uh -huh. brief, right? And just a an outline. So my YouTube. Uh, uh, channel is words of this life same as in my twitter uh icon okay. words of this life look up words of this life brian reynolds and, and you should find it okay and do you, i think i saw one time you run a, a bookstore or something like that yeah well uh yeah uh my friend and i uh this is not steve there's another brother uh, we opened a bookstore, a Bible store, in 1987, and we closed in 2014. So we had it for 27 years. So we had that that ministry here locally as well. Yeah, that's that's closed now. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Mm -hmm. Well, very good. Well, Brian, thanks so much for joining me for a meandering conversation through a well, variety of topics. It's always good to talk with a brother, right? Yeah, Especially yeah. one in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Double yeah. Even here, the Lord has a remnant. Yeah, that's right. A testimony. He will. Amen. Yeah.